Good morning again. We'll be in uh, the finishing out Joshua chapter 6 this morning, uh, specifically uh, verses 20 through 27. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, again, we, we thank you for your word. Uh, we are reminded once again, Lord, how you have revealed yourself uh, through your word, and you give us a picture, Lord, of, of who your son is and, um, and what he did, Lord, on our behalf, Lord, and how we might turn to him for our salvation, Lord. Well, let us uh, see you uh, this morning. Let us get a, a picture of your grace, your mercy, and your great love for us, Lord. And we thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So again, Joshua chapter 6, verses uh, 20 through 27. Uh, I, I found uh, a couple of memorials in, in this passage. Uh, Joshua seems to be a book of memorials. Uh, I saw that um, Rahab uh, would be a memorial to God's grace. And then, as we'll see, the former city of Jericho, a memorial to God's judgment. So let's read. I'm going to back up a few verses. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, on Jericho at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. And so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Praise God for his, his word. So let's uh, first talk about Jericho, the memorial to God's judgment. As I mentioned last week, the, the destruction of Jericho was a solemn and holy act of judgment by God against the unholy inhabitants of Jericho. And while God was the one who caused the walls to collapse, God used the people of Israel to carry out 
His judgment. And we talked about the grace of God in giving these people opportunity after opportunity to repent of their evil and, and turn to God as their Lord. Yet only Rahab would do so. As a, uh, as a result of her faith, she was spared the judgment that fell upon all of Jericho. So the judgment was that Joshua and his army were commanded by God to completely destroy the city to the point where, as we read, Joshua even placed a curse on the city that it should never be rebuilt. And, and while we've talked about the actual destruction of the city, we didn't talk about the devoted part. Scripture says that the city was devoted to destruction. And this idea of, of something being devoted to destruction is mentioned a number of times in Joshua, especially in this chapter. And, and so what does it mean that Jericho was devoted to destruction? There's actually a Hebrew word for it. It's, it's harem. And the concept or act of devoting something to destruction is called harem. And the word harem denotes the fact of separating something, or of taking it out of profane use and reserving it for sacred use. So taking it out of profane use and reserving it for a sacred use. So last week I talked about the why. You know, why was Jericho devoted to destruction, even if the destruction included all the inhabitants, man, woman, and child? And again, the Canaanite people had so rejected God, had so given themselves over to the, the worship of their false gods and, and the horrific demands that those false gods are placed on the people, including the sacrifice of children, that harem was pronounced, was literally pronounced upon the city. So this idea of harem applied to Jericho was, was about taking it out of profane use and reserving it for sacred use. The Lord was actually purifying the land before the Israelites would, would occupy it. The Lord was setting the land apart, the promised land apart, consecrating the land, making it holy, and reserving it for sacred use. And we know that sacred use would be one day that all nations would um, come to know the Lord through Israel. And I, I thought about it this way, not, not a perfect analogy, but most of us, when we plant a new garden in the spring, you know, we prepare the garden and one of the ways we prepare and then, of course, maintain is, is we get rid of all the weeds. We get rid of the grasses, the weeds. So I was thinking we perform harem on the grasses and weeds. So in a sense, we're trying to purify the garden uh, for what we have uh, decided were the chosen plants. And we remove the plants which defile. And uh, so in preparing the promised land uh, for the Israelite people, God is taking Jericho out of profane use and reserving it for sacred use. And as we know, you know, God created all things. You know, therefore, everything belongs to God. And God can do with his creation whatever he wants. And he's a good God. And we know that whatever God does with his creation is good. Deuteronomy 10.14 says, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. 
Uh, King David wrote in Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Therefore, in Leviticus 18, God speaks to Moses with these words. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. And then God gives this extensive list of, of profane things having to do you know, with, with sexual immorality and, and child sacrifice. And then God says this, still in Leviticus. He says, do not defile yourself in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled. So I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. And if you defile the land, I will vomit you out, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Everyone who does any of these detestable things, such a person must be cut off. And there's that concept of harem again, from their people. Keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came and do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. So God demands that his people be holy as he is holy and for them to be holy, they can't have any influence from the people around them, the Canaanite people. And Jericho would be a memorial to God's ultimate judgment on, that, uh, on the unholy. Now for Jericho, as we said, the time allotted for repentance and faith was over for them. And all that remained was God's powerful and final justice and judgment uh, for that city. You know, having refused and rejected God's path you know, to mercy and forgiveness, all that remained was destruction, devoted by God for destruction. And, and this is, it, it's a sobering thought, but it, it's a truth that should make us all stop and, and, and think about for a minute. I mean, how serious and significant and harmful and destructive must sin and rebellion be if the wages for it are death and destruction? I mean, the tragedy is that Scripture tells us that, that we humans are each personally created and formed and designed by God for His glory. We're each held together by the word of His power, and every breath and gift and talent that we have comes directly from God. And we live, as the Scripture says, we live in a world and a universe that shouts the glory of God and unmistakably displays his fingerprints and his character. So when we, when we humans live as if God doesn't exist, and when we refuse to acknowledge him and his glory, when we exalt ourselves and, and claim to be self-sufficient and capable of living life without him, and when, we, when we give the glory that, that God deserves to false gods 
that we've created with our own hands or, or to created things or, or beings like animals and angels. And when, when we ignore and suppress you know, the conscience that He's given each of us and, and we give ourselves over to things that we know are wrong, that we know are against God's design. And when, when we humans you know, go through life in these ways and we continue to reject God and we continue to refuse to return to Him in repentance and faith, you know, God's justice and judgment will be carried out. God's holy and just character demands that it will be carried out. God would be denying who He is if He failed to carry out this, this effective justice against sin. So we, you know, we, it can only lead us to conclude that sin and rebellion against the God who created us against the God who holds us together every moment, it's not a small thing. It's not an insignificant issue. In, in fact, it's the biggest issue. It's, it's our biggest problem that we have in this life. Sin is serious enough that the people in Jericho who ignored God's warning and continued in their rebellion against Him became devoted to destruction. You know, so much so that the, the charred remains of Jericho became a memorial to God's judgment. And Joshua cursed uh, the rubble of what was left, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up his gates. And the amazing thing is that curse came true. The curse was carried out many, many years later under King Ahab. And incidentally, King Ahab uh, was considered one of the worst of the really bad kings of Israel. And we can find that in 1 Kings. So one of Ahab's guys you know, tried to build, rebuild Jericho, and he lost his youngest and oldest sons in the process. That's how serious sin is to God. Which brings us to Rahab. You know, known, known throughout Scripture as Rahab the prostitute. You know, it's like prostitute will forever be her last name. I mean, I was thinking of all the last names that, that people have that are, you know, derived from occupations. You know, we have Joe the Archer becomes Joe Archer. And, and, and Joe Baker becomes, Joe the Baker becomes Joe Baker. And on and on, you know, Steve the Mason is Steve Mason. And Harry the Potter becomes <laughs> Harry Potter. Okay. So, I was thinking about this. Mom and Dad, I'd like you to meet my girlfriend, my new girlfriend, Rahab Streetwalker. She just moved to town from Canaan. So, Despite the fact that her name will forever be tied to her occupation, her former occupation, Scripture clearly uses her as an example of a memorial to salvation and not of sin and judgment. And I was thinking about Rahab the other night. My wife was reminiscing about how she and I and my son 
uh, a few weeks back where we were laying out in the backyard in the grass and we're looking up at the stars. And, um, you know, the Milky Way is just sprawled across. And, and, and Psalm 19.1 came to mind. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God. And, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And I was, I was imagining Rahab lying on her, her flat roof, you know, next to the drying flax you know, one evening and looking up at the stars. And I, I could imagine what it was like because there was no light pollution back then. And, and maybe she's thinking about those people who have gathered across the Jordan River just a mile or so away, and there's thousands and thousands of them. And, and she's thinking about the rumors that have been filtering into her place of business. And people, people are saying, those are the same people who somehow escaped slavery in Egypt. Some say it was their God who helped them by dividing the sea and destroying Pharaoh's army. And then the people also remembered and began to talk about how those former slaves managed to defeat the, the two kings of the Amorites. You know, again, with the help of their God. And Rahab looks over to the east and she says to herself, now they're here. Perhaps even their God is with them. And then, and then something comes over her. Something happens in her heart. And, and, and as she looks again at the, at the countless stars in, in, the, in the dark night sky, she begins to wonder about this God, this, this God of the former slaves, the Israelites. And somehow, miraculously, she comes to recognize that, that yes, the God of the Israelites is a mighty and powerful God who was able to cause the wind and, and the water to do his bidding, able to defeat powerful armies. But he also rescued those people from slavery. Their God protected his people. He, he brought them through the wilderness. He provided for them and he protected them. Our gods only take and take and take. Our, our gods, gods of wood and stone, they even demand the lives of our children, our babies. And she takes one last look at those magnificent and endless stars and goes downstairs, the seeds of a simple faith beginning to grow in her heart. And she sees two men standing in the room. Two of those Israelites. They're in her house. And they weren't there for her services. And incredibly, they tell her why they're there. And everything becomes a blur as she attempts to help them and hide them. In those words. Those words that she said to the spies. Where did those words come from? For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and of the earth below. It felt so good. It felt so right to say those words. And, and so much has happened since, since then. How again, their God, her God, stopped the river waters from flowing. And how the people, so many of them, crossed over. And how they stayed there, near the river, preparing, but not preparing for war. They, they built no weapons of war. They, they built no towers, no battering rams, but they were preparing for something. She could just feel it. And how the, the men of war and the priests 
and the priest carrying that beautiful ark, how they all came to the city, and how she quickly and desperately gathered her family and hid them and hid herself in her home. And how the, the soldiers and the priests marched around the city day after day after day. And then the unforgettable sound of the trumpets and the final deafening shout of the people. And immediately after, the earth-shattering sound of the city walls collapsing, disintegrating into dust, and the, and the overwhelming rush of the Israelite soldiers rushing in over the rubble of the walls and killing, so much killing. And now as she huddles with her family amidst all the chaos and the screaming and the thick clouds of dust still in the air, she's hoping, praying even, that they will be spared. Her and her family will be spared and that they will be dealt with kindly and faithfully as, just as the spies had promised and they had promised before their God. And then the door is kicked open and in rush two men, the two spies, and they gently but quickly pull Rahab and her family out of the home, out of the chaos, away from the destruction. And she stops to look back Amazed to see that only her home was left standing out of the entire city with the scarlet cord still hanging out the window. But not for long, as they are being led away outside the camp for ritual purification, the city is set ablaze. Her home is now a pile of stone and bricks and mortar. And she falls to her knees and feeling the heat of the immense fire, she gives thanks to the God who saves her. Saved her not only from the destruction of the city, but from her old way of life. Her degrading and confusing and hopeless way of life. And now, now she can look to the future with hope. The sure and eternal hope of one day being in the presence of her Lord, the God of the Israelites, forever. Which even now, in her new and simple faith, she can just feel down into the depths of her reborn soul. Verse 25 from today's passage says, But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day, the writer says, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Rahab's story doesn't end there. She's, she's a well-recorded character in Scripture. She's in Hebrews 11, the so-called Hall of Faith, along with you know, one other woman, Sarah, Abraham's wife, uh, for being a woman of such great faith that she hid the spies at Jericho. And she's also mentioned in James chapter 2 along with Abraham, for the actions that backed up her faith. And, and, but Rahab is still remembered as a prostitute. Some versions say harlot in the New Testament. Now, if you go through Scripture, you notice that God changes people's names a lot, doesn't he? So you'd think that he would change Rahab's name to something like Rahab the Faithful or Rahab the Brave. But he doesn't. I mean, he tells you, Scripture tells you the brave things 
that she does, tells you about her faith, but Scripture still says that she was a harlot. And I think that's pretty interesting. I think it's important that we remember that. What it's telling us is that God can save and use anybody for his purposes, no matter who they are, if they'll just yield to faith in him. Nobody is outside of God's promises. He's, he's showing that he is able to include everybody in salvation. I mean, you hear people say, I'm not that bad. I've never robbed a bank or cheated on my spouse or killed anyone. You know, well, good for you. But God says that everyone who pursues their own way apart from him is committing harlotry. It's in Jeremiah 3. We're made for God. And anything that gets in the way of our relationship is like cheating on a loving husband. Uh, the book of Hosea presents that truth. In all of us, there's a sinfulness that God wants to save us from. He sent his son to die for that. And Rahab's story is a story, and I hate to use the word, but it's a story of inclusiveness. Rahab's story is very inclusive. If he can go, if God can go so far as to save and use a person like Rahab, how much can he save and use you or me or our friends or anybody in our family or that person on the street? I mean, there's nobody who is beyond God's grace. And if you, if you think that you're beyond the grace of God in, in some way, if you think that there's something that you've done that can't be forgiven, that can't be redeemed, or can't ultimately change. Well, Rahab's story tells us otherwise, doesn't it? Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. Uh, Rahab ended up marrying a man named Solomon. Uh, Jewish tradition says that Solomon was one of the two spies. I don't... I don't know if that's true or not. It's nice to think about. And then they both lived among the Israelites as one of the, the people. And then she was the mother of Boaz, who became the husband of a woman named Ruth. And the story is recorded in the book of Ruth. And then Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. I mean, how much more redemption can there possibly be than that to be in Jesus' lineage? Rahab's story reminds us once again that God comes for us. I consider that, that Rahab's life demonstrates, as few other lives do, how total are God's love and mercy for all people and how he's able to do incredible things with a heart that's yielded to him no matter whose heart it is. Uh, we, God can do anything, and it's He who saves prostitutes and sinners of all stripes, including you and me. And He gives them life, a new life, and a bright future in His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Praise God.